everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. We've got another great interview for you today. We're going to be talking to Patrick Wardle. He's an ex-NSA hacker and chief researcher at Digita Security, and also the founder of Objective-C, a great little website with a blog and some really cool uh, Mac security tools. So we're going to be talking to him today about computer security. We're going to ask him a lot of really great questions. So we're going to be talking today about computer security. We'll talk a lot about Macs, but we're going to talk about PCs in general and smartphones as well. And he's just got some great insights. It's a lot of fun talking with Patrick. So without any further ado, let's talk to Patrick Wardle about computer security. All right, and we are here with Patrick Wardle. He is a chief research officer at Digital Security and the founder of Objective-C, home to a bunch of really interesting security tools for the Mac. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks, Gary. Awesome to be on your show. Uh, super stoked to be uh, chatting with you today. <laughs> well, I, you know, we've got a real, for real professional hacker on the line, so I've got all sorts of questions for you. Now, I know that you're kind of a Mac-focused guy, so we're probably talking a lot about Mac. But, you know, there's a lot of, I'm sure there'll be a lot of things we'll cover here today that will be applied to all platforms. So don't tune out just because it's Mac. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of great stuff to cover. I've got so many questions for you. So, uh, but I, I got to start with your background. So everywhere I've, you know, I, I looked you up, Someone quoted XNSA, and that's about all they said. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what it's like, you know, what your background is and what it's like to be an XNSA hacker. Yeah, so I started kind of my computer security interest at the University of Hawaii, studied computer science there. Um, and then I did an internship actually at uh, NASA in Moffett Field in California, mm. which was really cool. Yeah. Working on software for some of the space shuttles. I was definitely the dumbest person there. <laughs> uh, but again, super interesting experience. Oh, I was yeah. then hired... Uh, full-time by the NSA, National Security Agency. And that was really intriguing because it really gave me a lot of the foundations I have now for my computer security understanding. So I did a lot of malware analysis there. Um, I first worked on the IAD side of the house, which is in charge of kind of securing uh, U.S. government military DOD networks. So kind of looking at some really interesting intrusions and malware that was targeting those. Uh, so really got to see some advanced uh, nation-state uh, adversarial attacks and, and, and malware. Uh, and then I jumped to the other side of the house, worked at TAO, developing, uh, let's say, offensive cyber capabilities. So again, it gave me a really interesting, unique insight and understanding of how an advanced adversary would uh, target remote systems. So, you know, I feel like learning that, that experience is really difficult to get anywhere else. Well, oh, yeah. at least legally. Um, <laughs> so then with that knowledge and understanding, I feel like it really helps me today as I build uh, security tools to help hopefully protect uh, users from all sorts of threats. Now, did they find you or did you find them? How does one get hired at the NSA? Oh, that's an excellent question. So I'm sure if you're really smart, they find you. Uh, <laughs> I just happened to go to a recruiting event at a college campus, University of Hawaii. No idea what the NSA was, what they did. And I always knew I wanted you know, I love computers, but I really didn't want just a, a normal programming job, nine to five, you know, database or web dev job, you know, not knocking those, but that's really not my thing. I really wanted to get more into uh, hacking and, you know, analyzing malware. Uh, so, you know, the kind of the jobs and the experience they offer kind of fit, uh, uh, fit into that really well. And again, it was one of the few places where, you know, especially as a college student, you could uh, go do an internship or go, go work full time there uh, to get that sort of experience. Well, I have all sorts of like politically oriented questions I'd love to ask you, but we're going to skip those. <laughs> we're going to skip those because I've got all I sorts of stuff that. that I think that that I think our audience wants to definitely hear. So uh, let's start off with an easy one. Uh, what platform is more secure, Mac or Windows? 
That's a great question. And I think it's really important to understand that anything can be hacked. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally it doesn't come down to really the platform as much as it does to the users and how they are securing this platform. So I'm sure you've talked about this on the show more, but making sure you're fully up to date. Uh, mm-hmm. You're not opening those random emails, downloading cracked applications from shady sites, which mm-hmm. might be infected with malware. I think that's really the more important thing, especially for the everyday user. Now, interestingly, though, if you look at Windows and Mac, currently, I would say Mac is actually an easier platform to hack. Hmm. And this may be surprising to some people. And, um, you know, we have to thank Apple and their amazing uh, marketing budget and team <laughs> for kind of uh, spreading, let's say, this, this propaganda. And I think perhaps in the past it used to be true. You know, Mac is built on this kind of secure operating system and you know, it's a BSD-based variant. And, you know, Windows used to just be full of holes. Yeah. Uh, but Windows did a really good job, I think, hiring a lot of uh, really smart people and taking security uh, really seriously and building it into the core. So if you look at an operating system like Windows 10, it's actually really secure and actually rather difficult to hack. It has a lot of exploitation mitigations built in, a lot of hoops that attackers have to jump through even if they find a way in. Mac, on the other side, kind of lags that. And, you know, we've seen a lot of bugs that have come out very recently. Yeah. Uh, I am root bug where you could log yeah. in with a blank word. Another one, if you created an encrypted um, file system and you click password hint, instead of showing mm-hmm. you the hint, it would actually show the password. So these are really bad security bugs that are kind of popping up even in the most recent versions of Mac OS. Uh, so again, my personal opinion that is that a, a Mac is, is easier to hack. So if I would you know, put on my black hat and target uh, an organization, I'm going to go after the people that have uh, Macs because I think it's a softer target. But then Mac users are often a little bit naive, I would say. And I, mm. you know, used to include myself in this as well because we've been told that Macs are more secure and they, you know, in some senses can't get viruses, quote, quote. So when we're browsing the web or opening those emails, we're not as careful as we, we should be. So again, Mac users are often a little easier to target. And then the operating system that's running is also easier to hack, in, in my opinion. So basically lulled into a false sense of security. I'd, I'd usually liken it to like this is security by obscurity, maybe. It's because, they, you know, they're only like 10% of the market. So if I was a hacker and I was going, if I was just going to try to hit the most, you know, if I wanted to write a botnet or something that's going to hack as many things as possible, I'd probably go for the biggest market, which would be Windows. But uh, yeah, it's a exactly. good, good point. If exactly. you're looking at, you know, if you just wanted to get one, if I just need to find one weak link on the chain to, you know, get into some corporation or something, then yeah, if, if I thought Max were weaker, then that's what I would target. And also just one other thing, I mean, you know, you look at who are using the Macs within an organization, it's traditionally maybe the R&D lab, perhaps the C-level execs, you know, they have the MacBook Air they travel with, and those Mm. are probably the targets you want to go after anyways. Uh, And and in terms of what hackers are doing, we see a lot of Windows malware now being ported to Macs because I think there's enough Mac users now or enough Mac users that have disposable incomes that are that are great target for ransomware or other financial related cybercrime. Now I don't, know, I don't know if this is your bailiwick or not or your wheelhouse, but uh, smart devices are actually arguably more important today than than laptops and computers are because uh, you know they're so prevalent. They're they're taken with you all sorts of different public places and on public networks. Do you have a do you have a, a sense for how you would compare the security levels of iOS versus Android? Yeah, another excellent question. These uh, these IoT devices, these smart devices, are becoming so prevalent, and usually, you know, the security of those are just laughable compared to the more traditional operating systems. Uh, but in terms of Android and iOS, 
that's an interesting kind of case study because you have Android, which is a more open system, and then you have iOS, which is this incredibly lockdown system. So one of the benefits of a lockdown system is security. Uh, you know, I don't think that was Apple's primary objective when they were developing <laughs> the iPhone. You know, I really think it was to control content and to mm-hmm. control the entire user experience, which is a lot of positive that. You get this great device that's, you know, generally pretty much always updated. Everything works pretty seamlessly. Um, and because it's so locked down, uh, it's incredibly difficult to hack. So, you know, there's only a very few cases of, of, of true malware targeting iOS devices, you know, patched iOS devices that aren't jailbroken. And those are often attributed to advanced nation state um, adversaries. Now, you look at uh, Android. I think I saw an article just a day or two ago saying, you know, Google, you know, removed, I think it was like a quarter million uh, malicious apps from mm-hmm. the Android. And so you have this store where there's, all, there's I wouldn't say it's rampant, but there's a lot of like shady applications and perhaps even malware that, you know, users are, are potentially downloading. So from a security point of view, uh, iOS is miles ahead of Android. All right. That's, that was kind of my sense too, but I'm glad to hear that from a professional. So the other question <laughs> I get all the time uh, from people, and it seems to have uh, run the gamut of the answers is, do you recommend people to use antivirus software? Uh, antivirus software is is interesting because, you know, there's a few things. Um, you know, for Macs, I, I personally don't recommend people use that. And that's somewhat of a controversial opinion. Um, but that's actually because Apple has some built-in technology that is a signature-based scheme, which is basically a, a built-in antivirus product. And what it'll do is for known uh, threats, if you download and try to run it, this, this system, this built-in, let's call it an antivirus system, will actually de- detect and block the, 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 the malware. You're referring to Gatekeep- so, Gatekeeper? Um, Gatekeeper is kind of like that, but it's, it's actually called Xprotect or their MRT, which is their malware re- removal tool. And they don't really like to talk about this because I think mm-hmm. it kind of acknowledges that Mac gets malware. Um, so basically, that will protect you from known threats. Uh, and at least on Mac, the AV products you get uh, or are available to buy, that's pretty much all they're doing. Now, on the Windows side of the house, the AV products are a lot more advanced. They're looking for malicious um, uh, you know, behaviors, per se. And so they're going to do a better job even detecting new or unknown threats. Where on Mac, you know, we see so m- every time a piece of new Mac malware comes out, none of the AV companies are detecting it. So in, in my point... Uh, from my point of view, it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to actually run antivirus products on Mac. So how did you know, so Windows has Windows Defender and used to be Microsoft Security Essentials. Does that compare at all with with the stuff that Apple has built in? That they don't talk about. Is it are they semi equivalent or are they very different? Um, so the built in Windows Protector is actually um, really good. So what um, what Microsoft has done is really built a lot of advanced capabilities into Windows Defender. And it's actually a very now mature security product that, as far as I know, can detect even new threats um, based on behaviors. So the built-in security mitigations that Apple ships with, for example, Gatekeeper, and again, this Xprotect and their MRT tool are maybe not much as mature, but I think at least Gatekeeper does provide uh, a decent level of, of protection. So what Gatekeeper does is when you download and run an executable from the internet, it first checks that 
the signature that it's signed. And if it's unsigned, which in the past a lot of Mac malware was, it would block it from running. However, what most attackers are now doing is they're stealing or getting fraudulent uh, certificates and then signing their, their malware with this. So even if mm. the user has Gatekeeper enabled, it's not going to block it because it's going to say, oh, this is something that's signed. And we're actually seeing a lot of Mac malware uh, recently, for example, the samples that came out in 2017 uh, being signed with these certificates specifically to, you know, basically bypass Gatekeeper. So what about, you know, so, you know, free products like, you know, maybe a Viro, which is actually cross-platform. It's both Windows and I believe it's both Windows and Mac, uh, Sophos Home, things like that. Uh, is it, is it, so you're saying basically as long as if, if you're good about your internet hygiene, those things are not worth it. What about things, I don't know if you've ever heard of Steve, Steve Gibson, but on uh, security now he talks about what he calls internet background radiation, which is all the old viruses that are still kicking around out there because there's a bunch of old machines that are still, that haven't been cleaned up. Is there any value in AV software, some of these AV software just to block you from the old stuff that we all know about? You know, it actually can't hurt. Um, but, you know, I really, at least to me, I don't really see the value add, especially on Mac. So I, I specifically talked to Sophos a while ago and you know, I talked to them because they have a Windows product and a Mac product. And, you know, they, they said, hey, you know, our, our Mac product does not have the parity that our Windows product does. And, and this might have changed by now. But this is the, the understanding I, I generally get from um, various AV companies. So even if they have a product that runs on both Windows and Mac, the Mac one is not going to have the built-in advanced heuristics, um, hmm. or it's unlikely to. And, and the other good thing is a lot of these old viruses are actually not going to run on modern versions of, hmm. of Mac, which is kind of kind of cool. So Windows, on the other hand, really... <laughs> You know, you can take a, a Windows application from 10 years ago, and it'll likely run seamlessly on Mac. Sorry, on Windows, and right. even the latest version on Windows. Where Apple's constantly kind of uh, moving forward in the sense of not supporting legacy applications. Um, so, you know, I, I'd be very surprised if these older malware that's out there um, is going to run. But again, if you look at what Apple is uh, protecting against, you can kind of uh, look into the signatures they have in this Expertech tool, you can actually see it references some of these old viruses as well. Mm. So I guess in a nutshell, like it really doesn't hurt to run, you know, maybe like uh, Malwarebytes, they have, they have a decent mm -hmm. uh, Mac malware product, um, you know, can't hurt, but I personally wouldn't, you know, pay for something like that right. um, until they, they might get, uh, they get a little better, especially at detecting new threats, because that's really what I think users have to be worried about. So you talked a little bit about signing apps, and uh, for the, for the benefit of the listeners, that you know, at least on a Mac, there's there's at least a few levels, right? There's there's things that are actually from Apple, signed by Apple. Then there's applications that are signed with uh, Apple developer IDs. That's a program that Apple uh, has where developers sign up with them, they, they they register with Apple, and then they can get a special thing where they can sign their apps and have them available in the App Store. And then there are some apps. Uh, that you could just download separately that you can't get to the store and where the developers decide, you know what, I'm just going to go it alone. I don't need to spend the money on the developer ID. I'm just going to go my own way. Um, there's at least that many levels, I guess, of uh, of apps. How do you, as a user, as a Mac user, how do I know who to trust? Is it, is it you know, for, you know, for example, do I, I set my limit if it's not, if it's not from Apple or from Apple developer, I just shouldn't ever run it. Or, uh, you know, how, how did, you know, how do I know? who I can trust today it, because I mean, look at Kaspersky software, sure. right? For a long time, Kaspersky was, <laughs> you know, regarded as being one of the best AV companies out there. And they're actually at, they're at the forefront of a lot of security stuff. They're releasing a lot of really good stuff, but yep. you know, are, are they compromised by the Russian government? Yeah. How do you know who to trust today? 
Yeah, I mean, that's really a million dollar question. But I think for the average user, there are some steps that um, I think make a lot of sense. So the first is, at least for Macs, um, you can set Gatekeeper to only allow apps from the Mac App Store. And that's great for a variety of reasons. One, Apple does a pretty good job vetting what's in the App Store. So it's unlikely that there's going to be malware. You know, there might be a few instances, but it's very rare. Also, apps from the Mac apps, uh, Mac apps from the Mac App Store run in what is known as a sandbox. When you download mm. and run them, they're going to be running in a lower privileged environment, meaning that even if they are malicious, they're not going to be able to do things, for example, hmm. like access uh, perhaps your webcam without a prompt or you know something along those lines. So they're basically limited by what they can't do. So that's kind of the best place to get software for. The problem is because, again, they run in the sandbox, they're very restricted by what they can do. So if someone's creating, for example, a security application that needs to scan files on the file system or you know tell you when another application is turning on your webcam, that's not something you can do from the app sandbox. So as a security developer, you have to distribute your apps outside the Mac App Store. So what I would tell the users is perhaps always leave that setting on to only allow software from the Mac App Store. And then if there's a specific instance of an application that you want and it's from a trusted source, you know, maybe someone that has a lot of reviews, uh, you know, well-known name, uh, you know, well-known developer perhaps, then if that's distributed outside the Mac App Store, perhaps turn uh, Gatekeeper down that first time you run that app. Or actually, I think if you hit command click, you can open it and kind of for that specific app, uh, allow tell Gatekeeper, hey, I, I really want to open this application. Um, so again, we kind of talked about uh, you know kind of best practices, and, and I would say that's that's one of them. Um, you know, so that's just you know the Mac App Store again. That's probably the most secure route, um, but you know there are a few limitations. So if you need other software that's not distributed via the App Store. Uh, then you can, you know, like I said, reduce the gatekeeper settings perhaps just when you launch that app for the first time. Yeah, that, and that brings up a great point because um, one of the things I think a lot of people don't grok when they're thinking about some of these applications, especially when you start talking things about security apps or antivirus software, uh, in order for them to do their job, they need to get all up in the operating system and get privileged to do just about anything. And therefore... And we've seen and we've seen this with like, uh, what was it, Komodo or some of these other uh, uh, security oriented applications where they get compromised or they do something really dumb, like sell, yeah. sell sign certificates or whatever. And and so now that you've trusted this app and you've given it full access because you trust it and you want it to protect you, it's actually the vulnerability. Carrie, and that's a great point. And that's another reason why I'm a little wary about running these antivirus products. Um, Again, I'm not saying that they're inherently bad, but as you mentioned, they have so much access to the system, them themselves increase the attack surface. So I've done research, for example, on security products on the Mac that themselves had security vulnerabilities in them that an attacker could use to, for example, escalate their privilege, get more privilege once they were on the system. Um, so again, this isn't to, you know, badmouth antivirus products or security products. You know, I write security products <laughs> as well. Um, but again, that's a really good point and just something to consider that they could actually reduce the security of the system if they're not written with security in mind. So with that, it, I, one of the great things you have on your site and is you write apps, <laughs> the security apps. So uh, talk to, tell, tell us a little bit about the kind of the tools that you've got on your site. And, and obviously at this point, we're going to say we trust you <laughs> uh, to, to run these apps. But again, these are the kind of apps that probably need, you know, greater access and you probably can't go through the app store with these apps for the reasons you've already specified. 
Yeah, exactly. So I run a max security website called Objective C, and the inspiration for this was kind of funny. I got a call from one of my friends saying, "Hey, my computer's hacked." And Carrie, I'm sure that happens to you all the time. <laughs> so I went over to his house, and he was running a Mac. And this was, you know, five years ago. I really hadn't spent a lot of time looking at Mac computers. And normally, the first thing I do for a Windows computer is I run a tool called Auto Runs, which tells you everything that's set to automatically start. And this is something that malware does. It'll install itself persistently. So every time you restart the computer or boot, uh, log in, the malware will be automatically re-executed by the operating system. So it was a great tool on Windows to, to do this, but there was no comparable tool on Mac. So I kind of slapped one together quickly and ran back to his house and, and ran it. And you know he had some adware on the, his computer that was persisting in a way that my tool detected. And it was cool because he actually shaped surfboards. So once I fixed the computer, he gave me a deal on a really awesome board. So uh, <laughs> super stoked on that. But you know, it really exposed to me this this lack of um, security tools on on Mac. You know, on Windows we had these great system internals tools, a lot of yeah. awesome for security tools. But on Mac there wasn't that same parity. So I started writing some tools initially to protect my own MacBook, my own computers. Uh, I travel a lot. You know, I'm in Russia talking at conferences, China, all over the <laughs> world. Um, you know, I do a lot of interesting research. So, you know, I want to be sure that that, secure, that, that, that research is uh, secure. And then I said, you know, I should start just releasing these, these tools uh, free because I'm sure there's a lot of other users out there who are running Macs who, who want to be protected as well. And I kind of took an interesting approach, and, and that is I don't design tools specifically to detect malware, which is, seems kind of counterintuitive. What I do is I look for malicious activities and mm. malicious behaviors. So one of my tools that I wrote can generically detect um, Mac ransomware. And what it does is it monitors your file system for the rapid creation of encrypted files by untrusted processes. Mm. And, and this is what ransomware does, right? It starts locking and encrypting all your files. And that's something that normally doesn't happen, right? Like as you're opening your word processor, you're browsing the web, you're downloading some app for some screensavers or something, like these things don't rapidly create encrypted files. So that's a very, very strong behavior or heuristic that we can watch for. And then as, we, as soon as we see that happening, we can examine who is doing that. And if it's perhaps a trusted Apple you know, uh, encryption backup utility, we can say, okay, that's fine. We're going to trust that. But if it's something the user has just downloaded from the internet, something that's perhaps not signed or not signed by Apple, we can say, hey, you know, we can block that and then alert the user and say, hey, just to let you know, uh, this app apparently is encrypting all your files. Like, are, are you cool with that? And it's a little reactive. You might lose two or three files. But because we use this behavior-based detection, we can generically detect uh, all known Mac ransomware. So that's kind of an example of, uh, of a tool that instead of looking for a known signature or a known piece of malware, instead keys on a, a generally very malicious behavior to provide a really strong generic protection mechanism. Gotcha. That's awesome. Uh, and uh, I don't know if uh, if your software is like this. I actually looked at your software, but I didn't look for this particular thing. And uh, Do you... Do you feel that open source software is better than non-open source software? I don't know if your tools are or not, and I don't want to judge you either way. But is do you, is that a? I've often I've often heard that as a very sure. good thing. That so you know security researchers and whatever it doesn't mean they will do it, but at least they can review some yeah. of this software for for bugs. Is it better for for software to be open source? 
I think for security software, there's almost no downside into open sourcing it, except for if you're trying to protect your intellectual property. And it's interesting because originally a lot of my tools are closed source and some still are. And, and that's really the only reason. I really don't want some company basically ripping it off mm. and building their own tool. Um, but that having been said, they can obviously just reverse engineer my tools and figure it out. You know, I don't encrypt or obfuscate any of my tools. Um, so the the more recent tools that I've started to create are, are open source because, again, I think it addresses a variety of issues. Uh, first and foremost, it does make the source code available, which makes the tool easier to look at. So um, like you said, not saying people will do that, but you know, people then do have the opportunity to audit your, your, your software. Um, you know, it's very easy to look at the source code, make sure there's no like uh, malicious backdoors built in, but also you, they can see you know, how you're doing your activities to hopefully you know, figure out, hey, is, is this a security flaw? Does this make the system actually more at risk? Um, the only kind of counter to that is uh, it makes it easier for hackers mm. to look at your tools and find vulnerabilities if they see a security issue and they can exploit that, or perhaps how to bypass your tools. But I would caveat any decent hacker is gonna be able to do that without source code. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, I like the idea of open source security tools. So again, that's something I'm kind of trending more and more, especially as I get uh, more users who are um, you know, donating or giving me monthly support. It really kind of um, brings in a little income from, from the tools and really kind of helps uh, encourage me to, to open source more and more of you, my, my uh, utilities, and especially the new tools I'm creating. Gotcha. All right, so you talked a little bit about a friend of yours. Uh, this all started with a friend of yours saying, hey, I think I've been hacked. Uh, yeah. what, what do I do? So, okay, so I gotta, I'll start this off the story. I'm not naming names, but I know of somebody who was called at random uh, by a computer support group. Hi, we've noticed that your computer is having problems. Uh, and you know, your windows, your windows machine has problems, but I have a Mac. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Your Mac, your Mac is having problems. And, <laughs> and so, and, and, and eventually, uh, they had them install some, you know, some desktop viewing and command stuff so they could kind of poke around. Uh, and eventually they said, okay, and yeah, we see the problem. Here's your problem. We could fix this for you. Just sign up for our 200 and something dollar a year, you know, program, you know, to, to help keep your computer clean. At that point, they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> so finally, you know, finally, they're like, okay, I, I need to think about this for a little bit. But so at this point, you know, they, uh, they call me and I'm like, is this okay? And I'm like, oh God. You know, so I want to, I want to log into the computer and see what's going on. So here, here's the question. How do I know, or how can I prove or not that I either have been or have not been hacked? How do, how do I know if I, if all of a sudden my computer's running a little slower or, Boy, that didn't used to do that. Is that just a glitch, or is or, or something going on? Do people get paranoid, right? So how how does anybody know? You know, even the best AV software can't catch everything. How do how do I know if I've been hacked, or can I reliably prove that I haven't? That's an excellent question, and it's interesting to see how people approach that because I don't think you can tell if you've been hacked. You can't answer that question hundred percent confidently uh, because you know even if you reinstall the operating system and scan all the systems, you know, um, if someone had physical access to your computer, perhaps they modified the hardware, did all sorts of, of crazy things. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, generally what I do is I, I hackers are, are generally opportunistic. So they don't look for the weakest target. I kind of liken it to an, uh, a thief coming into a neighborhood who's just basically trying to rob some houses, not targeting one specifically. If the first house has a dog in it, he's going to skip that one. Second house has an alarm system, he's going to skip that one. Third one has a back door that's open and the light's out and no one's home, he's going to walk in and, 
on that one. Um, so generally, if you're just a little more secure than uh, you know the average user, you're unlikely to be hacked. Um, now, to answer your question, if you you know you think you've been hacked, um, again, there's there's a lot of uh, tools you can run that can tell you if you've been uh, hacked with a, a, an existing threat, which again most users are going to be are going to be targeted by you know a known piece of malware or something that the AV companies uh, either have seen or are going to see very quickly. You know, it's very likely that you know a foreign adversary crafted a brand new computer virus and is just targeting you. You know, unless mm-hmm. you know you're a government politician or something. Um, so generally, at least on the Macs, you know, most most ad uh, sorry most malware these days we see are, are adware. So there there'll be indications like you mentioned your your computer might be running a little funky. Like there's going to be pop ups. Uh, your search page might be like redirected from Google. Um, if it's ransomware, your files, unfortunately, are going to quickly be ransomed. Um, you know, if your webcam light comes on, those kind of things are, are indications. Uh, but generally speaking, if your computer, especially a Mac, is running a little slow, per se, that's not necessarily a sign of, of malware. Because most malware is actually written not to be detected. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to do anything that's too overt or uh, observable. So what I like to do, though, is I like to, um, for example run a a tool like autoruns. I wrote a tool for Mac called Knock Knock. And what it does is it shows you all software that's persistently installed on your computer. And persistently means set to automatically start when the computer reboots. And what we've seen is the majority, the vast majority of Mac malware persists and installs itself in some manner. Because otherwise, if it didn't and you restarted your computer, the malware would basically have just been disinfected. So what a tool like that can do is it can show you, again, the software that's installed, and it's going to have legitimate software, but then also software that might be uh, malware. And then very quickly, there won't be a lot, but you can then kind of browse through that and say, oh, yeah, this is Google Chrome it's updater. It's signed by Google. That's fine. Okay, this is an iTunes updater that's signed by Apple. That's okay. And then you might be like, whoa, there's this unsigned like Flash Player mm. updater thing that's always running, and that looks really suspicious. Um, so... I don't think you can ever answer the question, have I been hacked or have I not been hacked? Um, but I think there are some tools you can run that will at least tell you if you've been hacked by, uh, you know, something that's an average piece of malware. And again, I don't think the, the normal user is going to be, especially on the Mac side of the house, is going to be targeted by some super sophisticated, stealthy uh, piece of malware. So moving on from software to hardware, uh, we seem to be in a new era of hardware bugs uh, not that software bugs are going to go away, but you know, with the, all this fiasco going on, the Spectre and Meltdown, and the uh, the Intel bugs, uh, and all these, there's these like secret systems and secret chips on our motherboards and, and uh, devices that no one ever really thought about, but they're all, they've always been there. They've always been they've always been potential targets, but no one thought about them. Like I, I all software, uh, all um, cell phones today basically have a separate broadband chip. Uh, my understanding. Uh, separate yep. from the regular chip that, that runs the, the the iOS or the Android software, there's some other little basically another little system on a chip in there that is always running that no one ever talks about. Uh, Intel has its uh, AMT um, oh crap, what does it stand for? Advanced Management Tool or something um, that has been there all along, but they never talked about much that that was hacked or, or they found back doors in because I don't, it, it seems like we're did, we're kind of shifting into a new era. Uh, of of malware of attacks. Talk to us about uh, about that and what does that mean for us? Yeah, and I think this is a great question because as um, computing devices get more and more sophisticated, a lot of times you see, as you mentioned, these kind of built-in 
um, other chips that are essentially separate computers. Uh, you, for example, you mentioned cell phone. That's a great example. There's the main CPU, which is running apps, but then there's the the, the, the baseband chip, which is handling all the cell phone comms and that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, a, a, a basically a, a processing unit that's taking data, parsing it, executing. And so, you know, again, it's another target for attackers. Um, you know, these things don't get talked about as much, but I would, I, I will say like, <clears throat> um, you know, security researchers and uh, very sophisticated hackers are, are definitely well aware of these as at least as attack vectors. Um, I think I saw something the other day saying, you know, for example, even your monitor now has like a built-in, you know, mm. either like graphics chip or something that's processing that perhaps could be maliciously exploited and hacked. So these are, if we put on our black hats, amazing <sighs> targets for a variety of reasons. One, they're totally under the radar. Um, and two, there's not a lot of insight into what they are doing. For example, if someone like hacked the chip on my monitor and then like turned on the mic uh, uh, or the and listening to my conversation there's no way i would ever figure that out you know there's no like av for these products there's right. no even a lot of these there's not even tools to see what's running or to even examine the state of these so if they were infected or hacked it'd be very 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 difficult to figure that out um a lot of them are proprietary um and you know only open to the uh you know, the person, the, the company that designed them or very sophisticated hackers who reverse engineered them and figured out ways in. Um, again, I don't think these attacks are really that much of a threat to the everyday user, which is a good thing. Um, but it's still good to be aware of them because advanced adversaries are probably, you know, taking notice of these and, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, seeing them as potential awesome ways to uh, access uh, targets. So kind of an interesting thing. You know, I, I, I think as we see more of these sophisticated devices come out, um, there's just going to be more and more of these kind of embedded chips or systems that are kind of new attack vectors. And that's always what hackers are looking for, right? Kind of new ways in, new attack vectors, um, new ways to get code onto systems and then running on systems. So again, these, these hardware components, these separate computers, basically, which are running are, are really, really interesting um, to such hackers. Because again, once they find a way in, they're probably going to be able to hang around for, for a long while. For example, you know, you, you, a Mac gets infected, you reinstall the operating system, that's going to wipe out pretty much any malware that's running, you know, traditional type of malware. Uh, you find a piece of a way into the Mac uh, that leverages, you know, uh, an EFI bug or something or some other chip, like even if the user reinstalls the operating system, that might not remove the malware. Um, again, the average user does not have to worry about this, but something good to be aware of for sure. So we talked a little bit about IoT, but IoT, but <laughs> IoT devices before, uh, and you know I've said it many many times on this show how insecure they are. But there's a particular class of them that I'm interested to talk to you about. So, do you have any voice assistant products in your house? <laughs> I actually do not, and you know. Um, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> you worked for the I, I NSA. Think, <laughs> unrelated. But, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> I actually uh, did a DEF CON presentation with uh, one of my coworkers a few years ago where we hacked a, a drop cam. Now, we needed physical access uh, to do that. But you can imagine a scenario where a hacker buys a drop cam, infects it, and then sells it on eBay, mm -hmm. returns it to the store. Um, or even a more advanced nation state adversary, perhaps able to intercept uh, a shipment 
you know, if they know, hey, I want to hack Harry and he just ordered a new IoT device, for example, Dropcam. And what we were able to do was we basically found a way to access a shell on the device. And then we wrote custom software and uploaded it to the Dropcam. And again, it's just the computer running. So it, mm-hmm. you know, has an operating system that can be modified, can be infected. And what we did was some really cool stuff. So we installed something that would be automatically run every time the system was rebooted, would be constantly running in the background. And it could do things like uh, intercept the video stream, could turn on the mic to basically turn the camera into a hot mic device. And we could even do things like uh, freeze the video. So for example, say again, my ultimate goal was to rob your house. And you know, I could intercept, say you're ordering a drop cam. I intercept it, implant it, and basically, you know, once it's in your house, I can see when you come and go. And then since I have code execution or a piece of malware on the, the camera, I can do something like, you know, freeze the video frame. So even if you're watching your camera while at dinner and I'm breaking in to steal your, you know, your TV, you would never actually see that. So these IoT devices are incredible opportunities for hackers. And now transitioning to kind of the audio assistant type mm-hmm. devices. Um, you know, I don't think they bring any more risk than the other kind of IoT devices you bring in, except that, you know, perhaps they're always listening. And we have seen scenarios where law enforcement has, I believe, gone to Amazon and said, hey, mm-hmm. we basically need whatever data you have on that. Um, so, you know, it's not that I don't distrust the manufacturers as much, even though maybe we should. Um, it's more that, again, it's just a, another great opportunity for a, a hacker if they had some remote way to hack one of these devices or if they were able to intercept it in shipment or somehow, you know, break into your house once and then install some malware on that. Now they just have the persistent capability to constantly listen to, to what you're saying because, again, this device has a built-in um, you know, basically microphone. So it becomes the perfect, uh, like listening device. So again, it's, it's just, I, I don't think they're inherently flawed, but again, it just increases the attack surface. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, at least for me, the convenience they bring is not offset by the potential security risk that they might introduce. All right, so let, let me run by my my thinking by you, then you can you can check me on this. So, <laughs> so I, I've got actually I'm actually kind of paranoid about the stuff, but I have I've taken the other road on this one, and they're so freaking cool that I've got I've got multiple <laughs> Amazon Echoes on my house. Uh, and here's my thinking. So, for, okay, so beyond the evil made problem, which we've talked, you know, which is some you know sure. somebody comes in your house and they get physical access to your device and they implant something. So just stock device coming from Amazon or Google, uh, they're catching up, or Apple now too. Um, the way these things work, the way it's supposed to work, is they locally listen for what's called a wake word. And for yep. the Echo products, I don't want to say this because everyone's devices are going to wake up, but we know the A word, right? So, so yep. you, you say that, you, <laughs> you, say the, you say the word and, and, and your device is listening locally. So this is not going to the cloud, supposedly. This is, this is all local. So there's some, there's some chip on your device that is listening for that word. Once it hears that word, then it records you and then it ships off your data into the cloud to be analyzed and back. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, have this misconception that everything I'm saying is going to Amazon. Yeah, uh, and the sure. other, so so there's that. So so I'm yep. taking some comfort in the fact that the only time it's, I'm being recorded is probably the first 500 to 1,000 milliseconds after I say the wake word. And then the other flip side of that is in the for the big names in particular, Amazon, Google, Apple, I know that there are people out there like you 
watching this stuff like hawks. And as soon as sure. someone notices that these devices are always sending audio to the cloud, you're going to scream. So, so I'm counting yeah. on people like you to let me know that all of a sudden, hey, they are listening all the time. So check my logic on that. No, and I think, you know, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I really don't think there's some grand conspiracy here. Um, you know, I think that, you know, these devices are actually at least like the Amazon device probably developed designed fairly uh, well with security in, in mind because it would be incredibly detrimental, probably, you know, end that product mm -hmm. line if A, someone, you know, found that they were constantly listening or had some glaring um, security flaw. Um, so, yeah, I really can't you know, argue with that. The, the one counter kind of interesting story um, that is, is rather illustrative is um, related to a tool I wrote called Oversight. And what Oversight does is it tells you if anyone's using your webcam or your mic. And if a piece of malware gets on your system, the LED indicator light's gonna come on for your webcam. So that's kind of a, a giveaway. Um, but Oversight is kind of cool because we've seen instances of Mac malware that have waited until the user is not in front of their computer and then turned on the webcam, hoping to, you know, catch them in their bedroom, perhaps, you know, without a lot of clothes on or, you know, mm. something perverse like that. Worse for the mic, though, there's no physical indication that the mic is on. So my MacBook sitting in front of me could be hacked. Someone could have turned on the mic and be, you know, recording this conversation. Um, so the tool basically just tells you if anyone turns on the mic and the webcam and what process it is. So anyways, I get an email from this user saying, hey, Patrick, thanks for your free tool oversight. Uh, just had a question. I have Shazam running on my, my Mac to identify songs. And when I uh, turn it on, your tool alerts me that the mic comes on, which makes sense. But when I turn it off, the, there's no alert. Your tool doesn't say that it stopped using the mic. So, mm. you know, what, what's, what's going on? So I decided to dig into that. I said, oh, I probably have a bug in my tool. Um, but it actually turned out that on the Mac, Shazam was constant, constantly listening, even when you turned it off. So if you, you know, clicked on like uh, the, the icon and then say like, you know, stop or shut, you know, turn off or whatever, um, it was actually continuing to read information off the mic. And it was interesting because I pinged them about this and they said, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a feature, not a bug. And mm. we basically want to be continually listening. So when you come and turn it on and say, hey, what song is playing? We can tell you right away instead of having to listen, for example, for 10 seconds. Um, I was like, you know, I, I really I understand that, but I think users should be aware of it. And ultimately, you know, I pinged some people in the press and, you know, they're like ex NSA hacker. Shazam's <laughs> always spying on you. So Shazam got some bad press and changed their, their capabilities. Now, I will say they weren't actually continually to send that all to the cloud. But still, there was an example where even though you turned the software off, it would still be pulling data off the microphone. So that's an example, again, of one of these devices, software that's always listening that, you know, again, I don't think there was some grand conspiracy here. I don't think they were, you know, recording and listening to every, you know, what people were saying for malicious purposes. Um, but again, you know, that's just not something, you know, that's just a consideration that I think people should should be aware of. Um, again, just realizing these devices do have some capabilities. And again, when you're talking to, say, uh, the Amazon device and you say the A word, um, it's probably also listening what's going on in the background, what TV shows you're mm. listening to, what music, I mean, and then, you know, obviously these big companies, that stuff's super valuable to them. Um, again, there's, there's not a lot of malice there, but, you know, in terms of privacy, right. um, you know, it's just, just something to be aware of, I would say. 
Well, and there's so one of the other uh, classic stories of this is uh, someone was interviewing Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, and and took a picture of him. And in the background was his laptop, and was covering the laptop was I don't know a piece of tape or something over the over his uh, yes over his <laughs> video camera. Uh, and you know, to, so to your point, you know, so even he it was like you know, and of course he's obviously so amazingly famous and rich that you know he would be a prime target for anybody. So he's really exactly. got to be looking out for that stuff. But I, you know, I just wish, and a lot of people don't really think about this, but I really wish that laptops today would come with like a physical iris over, you know, the yeah. little slide switch that, you know, that physically blocks the camera. And it's the same thing with the mic. I mean, one thing I've heard people do, I don't know if you've heard this one before, where they plug, well, back when we used to have external mic plugs, uh, plug in a, a shorted out mic plug. So uh, it would basically, uh, it fills the mic. You have to make sure you're using your external mic, which is not guaranteed, but uh, and it shunts it so that it's actually not, rec- it can't record anything, but you know, God, it's just, what do you do? I mean, when you start getting yeah. that paranoid, things just fall apart fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and a few good points you mentioned one, that's actually a great idea. So for example, the webcam, I think that's kind of a no brainer. Um, you know, and luckily Amazon sells these things or you can just put a piece of tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, actually the piece of Mac malware I mentioned before that would wait until you weren't using your computer to turn on your webcam to spy on you. Um, You know, it turns out that the individual who allegedly was doing that, who was recently uh, arrested by the FBI, um, had been, again, allegedly doing this for 13 years Mm. to spy on Mac users via their webcam. Um, So one that's, again, to kind of tie back to our earlier discussion about antivirus companies and antivirus products, Um, you know, again, undetected for 13 years. That's an incredible long, incredibly long time, especially in, in the world of computers. Um, and again, this attack would have been very easily thwarted if the users had this, you know, these physical capabilities where, you know, put a piece of tape over or, or something. So again, I don't think it's too paranoid to go down that route. Now, you, you, you want to make sure you don't fall down the rabbit hole and <laughs> think that you're hacked. Unfortunately, I get a lot of emails from people who, who do that. And, um, you know, if you, if you do think your Mac is hacked, it's their, Apple provides a really easy way. You can boot into what's called recovery mode and just reinstall the operating system. And that will remove, you know, 99% plus of, of viruses. And if you have a virus that can survive that, well, <laughs> there's pretty much nothing you can do because even if you throw out your computer, there's probably other things. Um, but I think it's a great idea to you know, cover your webcam and, and, and maybe, you know, disable the mic in some manner. Uh, it, you know, really can't hurt. So uh, a couple more questions, and then I'll let you go. Um, so what is, what is in your view, uh, the future of secure computing? So like, what are the technologies that are coming that are going to help make us a lot more secure? Like, for example, you talked a little bit about sandboxing, which is already here in some, to, in some levels. Our browsers and uh, the yep. Mac App Store are already doing some of these things where they're kind of putting these little containers or, you know, around, around these apps to help prevent them from getting out and doing things they shouldn't. But, uh, for instance, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, and this was bound to happen, where we go from a blacklisting thing to a whitelisting thing, where instead of trying to find the, the malware apps and not let them run, now we're actually saying the only apps I'm going to allow to run are the ones on this list. Like uh, Windows 10 has this new feature coming, right, with the protect, protected folders where your documents folder, you could set that the only thing that can open a file in here is Microsoft Word and text edit or whatever, so that some sure. other apps can't get in there. Is it, that's an example. What do you see as the as, as the, the technologies that are going to save us or try to you know take things to the next level in this cat and mouse game for secure computing? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, as you mentioned, it's always going to be a cat and mouse game. So I think it's just, you know, I have a, one of my favorite InfoSec quotes is there's there's no patch for human stupidity. <laughs> um, and 
for example, we see a lot of these recent um, word attacks using macros, which was like, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And like, they kind of went away for a while and now they're back. And like, it requires the user like clicking through a bunch of security prompts <laughs> to allow the malicious code to run. So again, if you have a user that's doing that, like, well, you know, the yeah. operating system but I think you touched on a few that we'll just see become more and more prevalent. Uh, sandboxing is a great one, great example. Um, we're seeing Mac kind of trend more and more towards uh, iOS, where basically Apple is trying to limit what can be run. And, you know, I think they are kind of doing this under the guise of security, but I also think it gives them more control over the platform and control mm -hmm. of the content, which, you know, is something that they would like to have. Uh, basically. So more just sandboxing uh, capabilities. Uh, whitelisting is interesting as well, I think, especially in corporate environments where um, that can be controlled better. Um, you know, it can be like, hey, this, you know, this is all you need to run for your work and you don't need to be installing, you know, all these other random apps mm -hmm. on, on your system. That can provide a very uh, secure way to protect against malware kind of um, generically. Another thing I think we're seeing is users running with not without admin mm -hmm. privileges. Um, I think on Windows, I'm not sure what the current state of the art is in that. But now on Mac, still the default user runs with kind of admin privileges. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some tools out there that um, kind of work with running, allowing users to run in, in limited uh, limited user accounts and then kind of elevated as as needed. Um, and then we're also seeing Apple kind of take this approach from the other end where even if you are a super user, even if you're running with root privs, which is the kind of the highest permissions in terms of uh, users, the, the super user, there's still things you can't do. So traditionally, if you had root, it was like game over. You could run code in the kernel, which is kind of like the brain of the operating system. You could modify operating system files. But now Apple has introduced something called system integrity protection that says, even if you're root, so even if malware tricks you into typing your password into a pop-up prompt um, and the malware gets root privileges, it cannot modify the operating system protected files. It cannot load an unsigned kernel extension you know, into the core of the operating system. So we kind of see operating system vendors, I think, um, taking uh, more and more of an approach to kind of limiting what the users can do, which is good, um, but then it also can put third-party uh, security tools uh, kind of in a, in a bind because, again, these third-party security tools need to be able to see the whole system, um, you know, watch network traffic, scan files. So iPhone is a great example, right? iPhone is very secure because it's limited by what it can do in terms of what it can run. But if your iPhone was hacked, there's pretty much no way you can tell. You can't, you know, install a firewall on it. You can't install a real antivirus product on it. You can't attach a debugger and start poking around to see what processes are running. So again, if someone were to hack your iPhone, uh, it's a black box, which you know means that you, as a security researcher or a forensic analysis analyst, doesn't really have a lot of insight into it either. So it's kind of this catch twenty-two. So you know, I'm sure the nation states out there who have you know, iPhone hacking capabilities, love that it's a device that it's very hard to see what's going on. So once they're in, it's like impossible for the average user to kind of um, figure out. So that's kind of a risk. It's always this balance between security and usability. And, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, there's kind of this downside that people don't always really talk about that as our devices become more and more locked down, we also have less visibility into what is going on. So if they ever were hacked or the manufacturer did something 
I wouldn't say malicious, but something shady, like we would never know. Yeah. All right. So the, the million dollar question for the, for the listener. So what, if you were advising someone, someone's come to say, Patrick, I just, I got this, I've got a new computer. I got a Macintosh. What, or, or windows, if you want to go there too, what do I do? What, what, give me the top three to five things that you would do right away to protect someone's Mac. What, what do you do? So the first thing I think would be to uh, ensure that you have automatic updates installed. Um, and that will just make sure that you're always getting the latest version of, of the patches. Um, you know, I would also basically turn off services you don't need. So that's uh, covering the webcam, um, perhaps making sure that, um, you know, airdrop isn't enabled if you don't need to use that, basically reducing the attack surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think just the basic security principles of not, you know, downloading software from random websites, trying to stay perhaps just to the Mac App Store. You know, those basic steps will really, especially in, in, in Mac where there's not a lot of malware going around, that will really kind of keep you uh, secure. Um, there's also some third-party security tools. Not a bad idea to have a, a firewall um, to see kind of what traffic is going back and forth. That's a good idea. Um, but that's pretty much all I have running on my Macs. And then some of my utilities, if you, for example, want more insight into uh, when software is installing itself persistently um, or, you know, for example, if something's going to try to access access uh, your webcam but it's actually not that complicated especially lock down a mac and then with your your kind of basic security practice uh, you'll probably be safe fantastic uh and yes and i will i will put uh, uh links to your website uh on the show notes so that people can go and check that out there's some great stuff there really interesting utilities just it just it might be interesting just to kind of play around with those things because it gives you got kind of a really interesting look behind the curtain uh at some of the things going on in your mac that would kind of and open your eyes to what's really going on, and I think maybe give you a better idea of of where you might be vulnerable, uh, and you might not think about it. I think you're right that a lot of Mac folks have been kind of lulled into a sense of false security over the years, where oh, Macs don't get hacked, or there's no there's no viruses for Macs, or exactly, and uh, <laughs> that is patently untrue. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's great, and I will definitely make sure that we get the people out there. Are there any other resources you might you know before we go? You know, I'd like to make sure that 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 we arm the readers to or the listeners to the teeth any other parting words any other uh, advice you might want to give um again just to reiterate i think that having um the kind of best uh, standard security practice um will really get you a, a long way uh, i would say you know don't be overly paranoid um you know the nsa is probably not interested in hacking your computer right. um uh, and you know other resources um you know, I think just like staying up to date uh, on, on Macs, uh, sorry, uh, enabling auto updates, uh, stuff like that. Um, there's really so much information out there. It's, it's easy to get overwhelmed. And, and yeah. you know, there's always companies selling you new products. Um, but really sticking to the basics, I think, will get you so far. Um, you know, whenever I talk to someone whose Mac got hacked, it's usually they did something pretty, mm-hmm. pretty dumb. <laughs> um so, I, you know, in a way, I don't think we necessarily have to over, overcomplicate that. And um, again, especially on Mac, where there's not a lot of these threats, and most threats we see require uh, a decent high level of user interaction, like clicking, downloading, typing in a password, and running. Like, again, just be cautious and, and realize Macs can get hacked. Um, and kind of going from, from there forward, um, I think, you know, Mac users will remain secure. Fantastic. That was a chock full of great info. Thank you so much for coming on, Patrick. And maybe we'll get you on in the future. We'll talk about some other stuff. Yeah, Kerry, thanks again for all the great questions. Awesome discussion. And I would love to uh, chat with you again in the future. All right. Take care. 
And that's going to do it for our show today. Once again, thank you very much to Patrick Wardle for coming on. That was a really fun discussion. Hope you enjoyed it, too. And uh, I hope to bring him back sometime in the future. We'll talk about, maybe we'll talk, talk about some of the more political aspects of this stuff if I can get him to talk about that. Anyway, uh, until next week or until next time, as always, don't get caught with the drawbridge down. Thank you.